0: In a world that's so filled with bad news, there's nothing greater than someone coming to know Jesus as their Savior. And there's nothing greater than celebrating what he's done for us, that his grace is greater than our sin. Hey, justice was served when Jesus died on the cross, but mercy was extended to us because he paid the penalty for our sin. What a tremendous, tremendous blessing we have in Christ. Well, first day of school, you always take pictures So Julie and I, after we got married, I started back to seminary just a few weeks later, and uh, I don't know much about pictures, but I do know a whole lot about pranks, because I grew up in a family that liked to play jokes on each other. So I had to leave around 7 o'clock to go to school. Julie didn't have to be at work until 9, and so she got up and she was going to take my first day of school, uh, of seminary, picture Uh, for that year and so she got up of course I was all dressed and she didn't have to be to to work until 9 so she had on her uh, pink pepto-bismol sweatpants and uh, no makeup and unkempt hair and uh, so she is getting ready to take my picture and so I said well show me where you want me to stand so she went to go stand and I grabbed the camera at that point and I said well let me make sure the light is okay I know nothing about photography in light but she was led like a lamb to the slaughter and I started snapping pictures and uh, now this was not in the day when you just have it on your phone automatically this was in the day where you had to take the film then and drop it off somewhere and then pick it up later and I still I wonder what did those people think when that picture came through of course I'm dressed uh, all up for my first day of school but she's there in her pink pepto bismol sweatpants. You know, there's something about being ready that First Thessalonians 4 constantly calls us to, to be ready. Re- be ready because Jesus is coming. Throughout this book, there's this constant call that says, be ready. I was ready for a picture. She wasn't ready for a picture, but she got one anyway. Some of you may be ready for Jesus to come. Some of you are not ready. But can I tell you, whether you're ready or not, he is coming. And there are aspects of our spiritual life in knowing Jesus that matter for eternity. And there are aspects of our spiritual and moral life that matter when he comes as well. So take your Bibles this morning and turn me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And Paul is going to build on the theme of Purity, first Thessalonians chapter four, and we 're going to pick up in verse number one. it says, finally, then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his spirit. And with that, let's pray. God, speak to us today, and may we be ready. May we be pure, holy, and ready. In your name we pray. Amen. As we pick up in First Thessalonians chapter four, look at the last verse of First Thessalonians chapter three, to kind of catch the context where Paul is. He is praying for the church at Thessalonica, and this is what he prays in First Thessalonians 3:13, that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of saints. Paul, as he concludes that third chapter again, Paul is just writing a letter. We have put the chapters and verses in there for our convenience to find things. But Paul has just prayed that the believers would be blameless in holiness because Jesus is coming. And with that in mind, then he takes that prayer that he has just prayed. Lord, help them to be blameless in holiness and ready when Jesus comes. And he takes that and expounds in these first eight verses and has a call and a plea for us as believers to live different than the world. Now, remember... When we step back into the first century, we run into a very idolatrous and immoral culture that was not uh, just condoned by the culture, but it was really condoned by the government as well. That the government was involved in the idolatry, and the immorality, and they pushed that and encouraged that as well. So that Christians were going against the stream of culture, and they were going against the stream of the government uh, standard at this point. But Paul calls these believers to live differently, not as Gentiles who do not know God. But the picture is, is not as sinners who do not know God. Because Jesus has come into your life, you should live differently. And so with that this morning, I really want to throw three challenges to you when we look at these first eight verses. First, notice back with me in verse number one. He says, finally then brethren. As, as he writes to brethren, he's writing to believers. And I think that first call is, is that you need to make your walk with God a priority. Make your walk with God a priority. Because he goes on in this verse and he says, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. So he says, uh, you need to walk with God. Walk pictures not just following rules, but it pictures a relationship. The Bible is not just a book that you toss and say, here's a moral standard. Instead, the Bible is a book of relationship that says, this is how you walk with God. This is how you get to know him. This is how you get to experience him in his fullness. It is a walk, not a rule book. It is relationship building, not just rules. But he He challenges them with this. So as we think about our walk with God, I want to ask you three questions. First off, are you in the Lord? Are you in the Lord? If you're going to walk with God, then first you have to be in the Lord. That's why he says, finally, brethren. I exhort you in the Lord Jesus. He's exhorting them in the Lord Jesus because he believes that they are in the Lord Jesus, and he calls them brothers because they are part of the church. But I have to ask this morning, as we're coming to, to, to gather in worship today, is there someone who who doesn't know Jesus? I mean, you, maybe you're here because someone has invited you, or maybe you're here because uh, some things in your life are, are getting difficult, or maybe you're on a journey and you don't really know what's going on yet, but the question is, are you in the Lord? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus, not just looking at the Bible as rules, but a relationship. That relationship comes when, just as we sang just a minute ago, when mercy, God's mercy, comes into our life. See, we're disqualified from a walk with God and a walk that would bring us to heaven because we have sinned. We're imperfect people. But the Bible gives us the picture that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Now he offers heaven to us as a free gift. Whenever I say that free gift, or I type that on my computer, free gift, it always underlines the word free. And then you click on why it underlined the word free, and it says, be concise. A gift is free, is what it's saying. Take the word free out. But I want to just drive that home to us, that our relationship with God is a gift. It is a free gift. It can't be earned or deserved. Are you in the lord secondly if you know that you're in the lord then i have to ask you are you in the word notice what he says in verse number two he says you know what commandments we gave you through the lord jesus christ you know the commandments you, are you in the word he, he's saying to the church at Thessalonica, you you know what we told you you you've got your old testament scriptures are you in the word and then third question is this are you on the walk are you on the walk? Are you, are you in the Lord? Are you in the word? And then are you on the walk with the Lord? Notice what he says again at the end of verse number one. Just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. How you ought to walk and please God. I was on a walk the other day and I was thinking about my spiritual walk while I was on a physical walk. And I start from my house, and I walk through my subdivision, and sometimes I'll walk up through Debray Middle School. And can I tell you, I start and I end the same place. The walk is not about getting somewhere. The walk is about the journey, not the destination. For me, it's a journey to, you know, try to stay healthier. Our walk with God is not just that we're going to go to heaven one day. It's a journey and a walk with Him. It's not just the destination of heaven. It's the walk of getting to know Him in our life, getting to experience Him in our life. Some of us are, are busy, but can I ask you, are you spending time in a walk with the Lord? Our, our weeks, the last few weeks with Joel getting married and then Julie's parents' 50th anniversary last weekend uh, have been busy And we had some things this week that were busy, and I had plans on Friday, and I ended up just saying, I've got to go into the office Saturday, so I'm just not going to to do anything Friday. But Julie had already marked this night off on her calendar. Uh, The boys were gone. There was going to be no one at the house. It was just going to be her. And so it comes time, the boys leave, and it's just like me and her, and we're kind of looking at each other. And I, I said, well... Do you want me to go upstairs so you can do what you would like to do by yourself? And this is what she said. She said, I would like the company. That means stay. I want the remote. And I want no opinions. That's that one. (laughs) So I will tell you that Christmas in Blue Ridge which was taped last year, Hallmark movie, is now checked off my bucket list, okay? (laughs) I want your company. I want the remote. I don't want any opinions. I'm afraid sometimes that's the way we want to walk with the Lord. Lord, I want your company. I want the blessing of your presence. But Lord, I really want to stay in control here. And Lord, I really don't want any conviction about it. Are you on the walk? Sometimes the walk leads us through places that are uncomfortable. The walk leads us through places of change. The walk leads us through places of transition. The walk at times can feel treacherous. The walk at times can feel lonely and you can be discouraged. Are you on the walk? Make your walk with God. A priority. Secondly, make the will of God your guide. Make the will of God your guide. Notice what he says in verse number three. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You know, as we think about the will of God, we don't have time to go into everything, but there's three aspects of God's will that we need to understand. First off, it is God's will that you are saved. It is God's will that you are saved. 2 Peter 3, 9 says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as men count slackness. He's not slow to to deliver on his promises. But it goes on to say that he is long-suffering and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will for your life is that you come to a place of repentance and salvation. If you've never come to know Jesus, can I tell you, if you're wondering what God's will is for your life, the first step is for you to come to Jesus and receive him as your savior. First Timothy 2, four says that God desires all men, all women, all people, all to be saved. That's God's will. The second aspect of God's will is it is God's will for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That means that we're to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.17 says, Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then after he says, do not be unwise, understand what the will of the Lord is, then he tells us what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled means to be controlled. If I had a glove on, and I almost brought a glove, but last time I gave this illustration with a glove, people thought I was either going to do Michael Jackson or O.J. Simpson. So I'm not bringing any more gloves on on Sunday morning. So anyway, so, but if I brought a glove in and I filled, my hand filled that glove and I moved, then that glove would fill because it would be under the control of my, hand. The same thing. If someone is filled with rage, then they act out of that anger and they may do uh, violent things. If someone is filled with compassion, then they might do loving and kind things because that's how they're being controlled by their, their, um, their compassion and emotion at that time. If someone is filled with alcohol, we've all seen people act differently because they are drunk with wine. But we find here that we are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit not only has come into our life at salvation, but now controls our life. Then the third part of God's will is that you are sanctified, for it is the will of God that you're sanctified. And that's what he's driving home here in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. So as we think about sanctifying. To be set apart. It means that God sets us apart and He He looks at us as holy, as sanctified, as set apart to Him. We're no longer commonplace. We're His. We do not belong to ourselves. We are special because God's Holy Spirit is in us. We should live a holy life. And that's what He's saying. This is God's will that amid this pagan idolatrous, immoral culture of Thessalonica, understand, believers, you are to be set apart to God, not blown by the winds of culture. You are to follow apart to his desire, not to give in to the flesh and follow your own sinful desires. That's what he's driving home here. So he, he gives really three thoughts with this as we think about God's will being our sanctification. First off, that we abstain from immorality. That's, that's what he goes on in verse number three, that, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So the, the picture of that day was it was anything goes. It was how, if it feels good, do it, go for it, do what you want, act like you want, live like you want, do what you want. It was in to the flesh, do what you want. And here the Lord says, no, if you know me, you don't get to do what you want. You abstain from that. But not only does he tell us to abstain, but secondly, he challenges us to respect others. Now notice in this context, what he says in verse number six that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this manner because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we have also forewarned you and testified. Now, I love the way that John Phillips, a Bible commentator, put this. What he said is what he's talking about in the context of immorality is this, that above every person's life, there is a no trespassing sign. God says no trespassing, no trespassing. Now when you walk down the aisle and you get married, now you are free. Hebrews 13, 4 says the marriage bed is undefiled. Now you are free to take part in an intimate relationship. But until that moment, the Bible says there's no trespassing signs across everyone else's life. No trespassing. Do not take advantage, do not defraud. You are to show respect. And notice what it says in the passage. Because sometimes and especially when we think of of young adults or college or student years, they think, "Hey, if if mom and dad don't find out, if if our our church teachers and leaders don't find out, hey if if uh, but my friends still think I'm cool, but none of them say anything, then then it's all okay. And notice what it says here, that God is the one who takes vengeance. And he says, you're forewarned of this, that this is not just an issue with uh, a couple of students or a couple of college students or folks. And again, now this broad term of abstaining from immorality says, look, anything outside of the context of a man and woman in marriage. This involves uh, premarital. This involves extramarital adultery. This involves homosexuality. This involves pornography. Anything. He says the picture is, is outside of the confines of marriage. There is no trespassing on anyone else. That's what he says. And then third, he says to live holy. Live in holiness. Notice with me in verse number seven. But God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. So, you're to seek holiness, to live a holy life. The, the picture is, 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 as believers, we're to be on this walk with God, and we're making this walk a priority, but we make God's will our guide. Amos, I'm just finishing up the minor prophets as I'm reading through the Old Testament. In Amos chapter 3, in verse number 2, asks this question. Can two walk together? If they're not agreed, they can't. I mean, I mean, two people, one can't say I'm going to go right and I'm going to go left. and, And they stay together. They can't walk together. And the picture is in our life is God is the one who says, look, come join me. Be part of my company. But let me tell you the ground rules. I hold the remote. I set the standards. You follow me. You can't walk with God and be disagreed with the truth of who he is and the truth of his word. That's what he's saying. So seek holiness. Live differently. If you call yourself a believer, it should be shown through your life. That's what he's saying. Don't don't you find it interesting? You know, we have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But what is... The the name most often given to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit do in us? The Holy Spirit works to make us more like Jesus and to make us holy. So I can't be under the control and be filled with the Spirit while I'm fulfilling these lusts of the flesh. Make God's will Your guide. Then notice with me in verse number eight. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Third thought is this. Make God's approval your goal. Make God's approval your goal. Notice what he says in verse number eight. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us the Holy Spirit. So we do not seek man's approval. But that's the, the, the picture. We're, we're seeking God's approval. We want to, to, to make God uh, come to the place where he's saying, look, you're walking in my will and my way, and I want you to, to receive my blessing, and I want you to enjoy the fruit of the Spirit in my company and the manifest presence that I want to show you. But too many people want man's approval. And that's what he says. He who rejects this doesn't reject man, but many reject this. Think about what you see on TV commercials. It rejects this. Think about what you hear in, in political opinion. It goes against this, this principle of one man, one woman together forever. It, it goes against all of that. Think, think about the movies that, that are often promoted and advertised among us. Think about everything that that comes out of places like Hollywood or New York, or you could go on the international uh, theme of of London and Paris. It is not saying, hey, you know, you should walk with God and honor your marriage vows. It is the exact opposite of all of that. So, we're all faced with a choice. Do I want to walk with the culture? And have my buddy slap me on the back and say, man, you're just like one of us. Do I want to seek man's approval? Or am I more concerned with God's approval? That's the question. Notice back up with me in verse number one. Notice who we do seek to please. We do seek to please God. Notice back in verse number one. Halfway through the first verse. Just as you receive from us, how you ought to walk and to please God. You have a choice today. The choice is who you're going to please. You're going to please self, you're going to please God. You're going to live for self, you're going to live for God. You're going to give in to the culture, you're going to live for God. Jonathan Edwards most probably famous in English literature for the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, but he was a brilliant, brilliant theologian and philosopher. He was a key component in the First Great Awakening here in the United States, 1730s, preaching as a pastor and a revivalist. But Jonathan Edwards had a very, lived a very disciplined life, and he had a whole list of things that he resolved to do with his life. And I found one of those resolutions quite interesting. He said this, Resolved never to do anything which I would be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Can I ask you, if you were meeting God in an hour, If you were meeting God in a day, if you were meeting God in a week, if you were going to come face-to-face with God in a month, what if God said, before this year is over, my time on earth, Psalm 3115, my times are in his hands, and maybe that time has come for you to join him. Would there be anything that you would do? Or would there be some things that you would say, I'm never going to do that again? That's the whole thought. And as we slide down just a few more verses down to verse number 13, do you know what? With this call to holiness and then a call to love in verse 9 and following, there's that big reminder again, Jesus is coming. It could be in an hour. It could be in a day or a week or a month or a year or a hundred years. But the truth is there's a call right now that says you need to be ready. So are you ready? With that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. And uh, may we be people who walk with you, who set your direction and will for our life as the guide. And may we seek to please you. Lord, if there's somebody here who don't know that they have a personal relationship with Jesus, they don't know what, they don't understand what a walk with God is. Lord, I, I pray that you would draw them to your sweet and precious Son, our Savior Jesus. Lord, there are many believers here. And I can't help but believe that many would be ashamed if you came in an hour. So, Lord, I pray that. Your kindness would lead to repentance and that we would seek holiness in your name. Amen.